0: My journey with disability and with the stroke has been just proving and showing to myself that I am capable of so much more than I thought that I was. And I don't let anything stop me. Society's obsession with Taylor Swift. I simply do not.
1: And he put me in the swimming pool and I sank to the bottom. Dad looked down and was like, okay, I've got to go get
0: him. 50% chance of it rupturing. And if it did rupture, a 10% chance of death. <sighs>
1: Today's guest, Maddie Kneebank, is a disability content creator, author, and young stroke survivor. It's a great conversation to have today with Maddie, particularly surrounding her journey when it came to recovery, the difference between our two countries being the US and the UK, and some of her travel stories that she's had over the years, as well as the journey of writing her book. I really do hope you enjoy this episode, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome back to the Not Quite Pod. Today we've got Maddie with us. Maddie, do you just want to quickly introduce yourself, let everyone know a bit about yourself, and what you're doing here today?
0: Sure. Thank you, Charlie, for having me on your podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Hello, everyone. My name is Maddie. I um I am a young stroke survivor. I live in America, in New Jersey, right outside of New York City. Um, I'm a young stroke survivor. I'm an author. I'm a content social media content creator. And I share my experience about traveling with a disability.
1: Love this, and also Maddie links in perfectly with one of my obsessions, and that is travel. I love to travel, and I love getting people's different perspectives of what it's like to travel when we have to consider different things that other people may not have to mm-hmm. consider. Um, what's one of your favorite places that you visited?
0: <sighs> that's a that's a tough question. I think so. Earlier this year, I went to Vietnam for the first time, and that was crazy. I'd never—it was my first time in Asia. Um, I'd never been to Vietnam, but I had um, like a—I'm on the board of a nonprofit that does work there, and and we had a gala. And I thought I absolutely have to go because this is too good of an opportunity, right? So I got to go to Vietnam, and it was just everything was so different, so good, and the food was incredible.
1: I must admit, so I think I would say Vietnam. Go- I'm itching to go to Asia. Uh, Thailand's a big Come one on my here. list. I'm
0: going back.
1: Oh, really? Wow. What, what time of year are you really next going? March.
0: It'll- March. Probably oh, will be awesome. early March.
1: Awesome. So, yeah. is- open invitation. Yeah, definitely might take you off on that one. Um, <laughs> what's, what's What's the country that you found the most challenging when it comes to traveling?
0: Mm, Well, I think it depends, like, by what mode of transportation. Um, So Chloe, my friend, who I think you know, Charlie, Chloe who lives in the Netherlands, she and I um, document our experience of traveling with disability on Disability Travel Diaries platform. And we recently took a train trip through Europe, through a bunch of different places. And that was just very interesting because some train stations are more accessible than others. And some, we had better help with the wheelchair than others. Um, Like there was this little station in France called Tonville. That one was, I'm pretty sure that one was the one where we had a little bit of issues and like, it wasn't, it wasn't very clear for most of France, at least in my experience, it's not very clear, like where you go, if you need, um, if you need assistance, like it's in my mind, like that should all just be very clear. Like, oh, go to this office. It's, you know, right when you enter or something, but it's very much not. And that was just annoying to me.
1: I have to say, especially when it comes to trains, trains is a very difficult thing when it comes to wheelchair users because a lot of stations and places aren't equipped to handle people in wheelchairs, but it's crazy that we still have that in today's society. For example... Yes, there's that as well, particularly in London. I live in London. They go on strike all the time, uh, not to mention the mm-hmm. fact of, like, some stations are accessible in London. Some people are more attentive in, in other places. Like, exactly. like I always joke on here and say London, so London's, for those who don't know, London's in the south of England. South of England is known as for being sort of the business hub, the main capital. Everyone knows it's mm-hmm. that. So everyone's got somewhere to be. That is the issue with London. Everyone's got somewhere to be. Someone was supposed to be somewhere yesterday. They're running late. So, whenever it comes to helping someone, it is a little bit like almost you ask for support and they're like, Oh, you want a ramp to get onto the wheelchair, onto the train? And you're like, Yes, that, that is your job. That is like, that's why you yeah, are here. Is exactly. um, and they're like, Oh, um, okay. And it's like, Why are you surprised by this? And then you go to the north of England. And everyone's like, yeah, cool. you your train's here in two minutes. Don't worry, we'll get you on a train. It's no worries. It's like, it's amazing the different, like, different approaches people take. And that's the same when it comes to countries. Countries are, some are better than others. Some are more equipped. What's your experience of, like, living in New York when it comes to public transport? Because mm-hmm. I've heard very mixed reviews of New York. And I'm yet to go. It's on my list to go. But uh, what, oh, yeah, what's you your experience you simply must.
0: I like from an accessibility standpoint, I know. So you go to any of the subways or train stations in New York, and they're always have announcements saying like, oh, this is an accessible station. But so apparently every station in New York is technically an accessible station. But it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, because Sometimes it's like, oh, but there's no elevator. I don't use a wheelchair. But if I did, like, I don't know how I would get off of the train station, or like off of the platform. Um, It's not like always clear, even though they're like all advertised as accessible. I think it's like a little more complicated than that, which is a little annoying. So I think New York has some work to do. um, But then in other areas, they definitely are, are good. So
1: but I think that's the same as here in the UK. Like, the problem is, unfortunately, um, a lot of places are... Some are accessible, some aren't, so you can get off some stations, you can't get off others. And the other issue right. with that is, as a tourist coming here, it's really tricky if you're a... To use it, just because, for someone like me, who's travelling into London all the time, you start to learn what ones are accessible, what ones aren't, what works, what doesn't mm-hmm. work. But then, if you don't know that information it's really hard to then navigate it and also they don't advertise it very well kind of like what you said earlier of it should just be very clear and concise whereas that's not always the case um and then the other issue you have in the uk is that i like to call it they want to keep hold of the harry potter look that is their big thing of oh you can't we can't change this building because we want it to look old-fashioned because that's what everyone thinks they're getting when they come to london it's like right yes but I can't get on the train.
0: <laughs> like... Right, but it's not, like, exactly practical or functional for people no. to get on board.
1: But then they're called, I don't know whether you guys have them in America, they they are called, here, they're called, like, listed buildings, so they're, here, they are protected under a certain status to protect the history of the UK. So, like, the reasons why certain train stations can't be adapted is because they have a certain level of security in terms of how much work can be done in that in that building which right, is really frustrating right. because there are so many companies now that do retrofitting where they'll make it look the same as the way it looked before but people it's just it's one of my big frustrations but we're going to end up on a very big tangent about trains and you don't want to set me up right, on that yeah, tangent. I, I will be here for the rest of the evening um what, what's been your experience of um traveling obviously with your <gasps> travels with Chloe, because if I remember rightly, you went to France, Luxembourg, Amsterdam, where else did you go? I think you went one other place, I can't we, remember.
0: We've been to Belgium. We did, we did a road trip through Spain. Um, I've done London, Paris. I also wow. recently took the train from Paris to Geneva because I spoke at the World Health Organization about rehabilitation. And um, so I got to take the train for that too.
1: Oh wow! So what what's been your experience of that? So like your whole journey with Chloe and and traveling through Europe and and speaking at the what was it? Did you speak at um, the health World Health Organization? Yes,
0: the World Health That's Organization.
1: Crazy! I would. I I mean, I'm gonna ask you about that after you've asked this question. But I would be so nervous. I <laughs> I would be so I, nervous.
0: I don't know Charlie if it's because of the stroke like so growing up um before I had a stroke I was always like into acting and public speaking so that kind of stuff didn't really make me nervous it still doesn't really make me nervous after I've had the stroke however I can still freeze up and that kind of happened a little bit when I was speaking there, I think like I, when I get inside my head, or like it finally dawns. Like I just start yep. talking, I'm rambling, and then yep. it suddenly dawns on yep. me, like, "Yep, this this is yep. a big thing that's happening right now." Yeah.
1: I completely relate to that. It's the exact same thing that happens to me. Um, so I'm I I studied performing arts and did drama in school, so being in front of a crowd doesn't faze me, and speaking to people like I do this. All the time, I speak to people, people come up to me and say hi, that's all fine. Stick me on a stage and say, Right, Charlie, speak about this thing that you know loads you know loads of things about. Speak about it and the first the worst thing is my brain will either go completely blank or exactly. I will speak at, or I'll speak so fast that my brain can't keep up with what information I'm trying to get out, so then I'll lose track of what I'm <laughs> exactly. doing.
0: So,
1: oh my gosh! I, I'm yeah, definitely I've, the same. Could not do it. I just, I can imagine as well. I, I'd imagine in that sort of event. You're speaking to medical professionals. It's quite formal. Countries, really
0: thinking that organizations, all sorts of like there were a bunch of different like leader government leaders from different countries, like the leaders, the health officials, and rehabilitation specialists, different organizations. All sorts of like high ranking officials and just people. And it was a really cool, um, like melting pot of sorts of like all these different people, but and from all different countries around the world, but sharing the same common mission of increasing access to rehabilitation and making that better for everyone around the world. So it was pretty cool.
1: I bet there were some really cool perspectives as well, because every com- every country's health system handles it differently. Completely, yeah, completely different. So I can imagine the question, what sort of questions did they ask you? Did they ask you any questions?
0: They did. So I basically was brought in as like a patient testimonial. So I was brought in just to share my experience um, with rehabilitation. So I shared a story of how I had a stroke when I was 22, completely paralyzed on my left side. So I'm hemiplegic and I've had to go through all sorts of rehab from cognitive, speech, physical, occupational, to learn how to walk, how to use my dominant arm and speak and swallow. And just like every form of rehab that there is, I've probably done it. Um, So I was sharing a lot about just that journey and specifically what i've learned about the power of mindset i actually charlie i don't know if i told you this but i i think i did actually that i am an author and i wrote a book specifically about this about like what i learned about mindset to enhance our recovery journey and to overcome obstacles whatever that may be we might not all have a stroke or have disability, but we all have challenges we have to deal with. And that could be moving to a new place, starting a new career, a new job. It could just be a a death in the family or, like, some big change Mm -hmm. that any big change that happens to us leaves us with a choice, right? So how we may not be able to control, like, certain things that happen to us. Having a stroke, for instance, I couldn't control that that was happening, but it did, but what I do have a choice over is how I'm going to respond to this trauma and to the situation that happened to me. So how am I going to take this experience and turn it into something positive for myself, but also for the people that I interact with and use it as a tool to help support others in their rehabilitation journey, in um, their recovery or in overcoming their obstacles. So that's, I think, one of the huge missions of mine.
1: I completely get that. And I completely agree. And it's, the book was actually one of my questions that I was going to bring up today. So you brought me a, a nice segue that I will use. Um, but it, it is so true that it is all about how the way you view yourself view yourself and your journey through it. It's so hard in those situations where something's happened to you or you've got a challenge that's come up. But it is about how you approach it, um, which is... My mum my has a famous saying that I often I often feel very frustrated when she says it to me, but she often says to me, worry about something when it happens. I'm a bit of a worrier. Mm-hmm. I'm always worrying about, I'm a bit of a plan freak, and I think that comes from being a wheelchair user. I like to know what's going on, what's going to happen next, that sort of. Yes, me too. I, yeah. So when I have that conversation with my mum of like, oh, this big thing's happening, this big what, thing, stress is happening to me, they'll go oh worry about when it happens you're like i would if i could but i can't and um that can be really challenging
0: that's so hard though charlie because i'm also the same way and i like create this unnecessary anxiety for myself and my parents also say like oh why worry about that like worry about it when it happens but um i'd actually be curious to hear how you do that because i find it very challenging like i'm always spiraling to worst case scenario and getting anxious
1: uh for me personally like i i I, again i always lean into the whole being a planner and like knowing Mm -hmm. what's going on but i think as well for me it's about controlling what you can and then everything that else is out of your control you just have to let go so that is the big thing that i would say to people is if you can control it do it because that's going to help ease that anxiety. But you need to remember there are just certain elements of these situations that you just can't control and you have to take that approach of worry about it when it happens. Because as well, Great. what often happens is you build it up in your head and you go, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this massive thing that's going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And then the thing that you think is going to happen happens and you're like, oh, this isn't as bad. But then you've made 400 crisis crisis arrangements that you now no longer need and also you've caused unnecessary stress for yourself so it's it's really tricky i think for me it's just about trying to remember and i'm still battling i'm still battling and growing with this of trying to remember to take a step back and be like realistically what's gonna happen and also i think as well it's about for me it's about leaning into the people around me and going look i know i'm a crisis planner i know i like to build myself up in my head let me speak to a non, a person that's not like that or someone who's not emotionally invested in it to get a very real world perspective mm-hmm. and try and listen to that. It's really hard to do that because you naturally want to go into the, oh shit, I need to get this done now. I need to, and that's what you try and need to get over, but it's really hard to do.
0: It is. And that's something that I actively try to work on and be better about. Actually, so my friend, Chloe, who we were just talking about that, you know, she and I are good compliments to each other uh, purely because she is very good at just like taking things as they go. And I'm more like you, Charlie. I'm more like a planner myself. And I like to know, okay, we're taking this train at this time. And then we're going to have to leave X amount of hours early so that we can get the assistance. And like, I just like to plan things out. I can be pretty go, go with the flow with other things, but when it comes to travel specifically, I, yeah. unfortunately I'm not. And, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm tra- one thing I tried to learn from her is to be a little more like, t- like rolling with the punches, so to speak, and like figuring yeah. things out as they go. Like, yes, you can plan to a certain extent, but there are some things unforeseen circumstances that yeah. we really can't prepare for. An example from our recent train trip was like, the strikes and the protests like we couldn't anticipate that that would have that that was happening or that it would be continuing to happen and so then we just had to evolve and adapt our plan in the moment and figure out a new way forward and I feel like that's a motto for life
1: completely and I think as well that's something that I've been doing a lot more recently coming from a Obviously, being a wheelchair user, I am a lot more accepting now of things not being necessarily perfect for me. So, like, for example, when I used to travel, I used to often think like, oh, no, I need a perfectly adapted room. And now while I'll always shoot for the perfectly adapted room, I've now taken a bit of a step back and gone, can I make it work? Can I make it work? If I can make it work, great. Because the problem, the benefit of that, and I know some people don't have this this opportunity to do this, but for me, the benefit of that means it opens up so many doors. So I think as well, another thing I'd say to relieve anxiety is give yourself as many like skills that are going to help you in that environment. In terms of like, right. if if train if if a train gets cancelled, oh, can you? Is there a different way you can get onto the train? Is there a way that you've worked on that isn't necessarily your ideal way of doing things? But if worse came to worst, like a worst a came to worst, plan. yeah. And but then I suppose that links into mine in your problem of we always have to have a plan. So I suppose it doesn't <laughs> quite work.
0: I know, and it's it's tough. It's something that I'm like really trying to get better at just not being yes. so anxious about things that literally I can't even control. And sometimes what it takes is me, like when I realize that I'm spiraling and I'm getting anxious about things, like there's literally nothing I can do about it. I have to stop, reshift my focus to think about, okay, so what are things related to this situation that I do have some control over, like, what can I do in this moment yeah. that will make me feel less stressed about the situation? Even though I can't control the situation, like, what can I do to, you know, make myself feel better, essentially?
1: completely agree. And I take, try and take the exact same approach of, like, as I say, it's, for me, it's about controlling the variables that you can. So, like, for example, from my side, like, one, one anxiety-inducing thing that most wheelchair users have is the whole thing of flying. Because flying equals someone else grabbing hold of your wheelchair, and it's like, oh, is that going to arrive in one piece? Right. Are they going to like bang it up? Yeah. So that is a problem we face sort of day to day whenever you travel on a plane. But for me, I've now sort of built a system around like trying to restrict as many obstacles for anyone handling my equipment that I can. And also, I try and limit the amount of things that people need to do. With it. So, like, for example, for me, one thing that I always travel with, and I know you might have seen it with Chloe, Chloe has a front wheel attachment but I, I have a, a version of that as well. But oh, my hand Yeah, so I try and pack my hand bike down into like a large bag. So it's in a really large bag, oh. and that gets packed down before I go anywhere because then it's all packed down, it's ready to go, it's been padded, it's got loads of things around it to protect it. So no one's mm-hmm. gotta press any buttons with it. No one's gotta do it. you've literally gotta pick up the bag and put it on the plane. Okay That's all on. you gotta do. So that's what I've tried to do as well, and it's like having things like documentation with you to prove like this is how much my wheelchair weighs, this is how much this weighs, this is an electric attachment, this is this. So then whenever so almost preempting all the questions that you get, Mm -hmm. that has helped me massively with my pre-flight anxiety because I know that I've done, yeah, I've done everything in my control because I've got a booklet that says, right, okay, this is what this does. This is what this does. This is how much this weighs. I've, and I also, if I phone anyone or speak to anyone over emails, I take copies of that as well. And I have the like. Honestly, I get it from my mum. My mum's a like finance head, so everything is like written down and perfect. It's it's also it just helps me with my thinking because I don't know about you. You're an extremely busy person. You said obviously you're an author. You're speaking at events. You're doing this, that, the other. Managing all of that in your head and then adding in travel plans as well can be really tricky. And that's another big Definitely. issue. I
0: don't know what your, your think, thoughts on that are. Um, yeah, so actually a lot of people do ask me, like, oh, how are you able to, like, travel, work a full-time job, like, do, like, your activities of daily living um, and, you know, go out and just do things? And, yeah. it, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't really have the best answer for that. I will say... After I had the stroke and I became completely paralyzed on my left side, my therapists were asking me, okay, so what like goals do you have? And for me, okay, there were, there were big, like more obvious goals, like learn how to sit up Mm -hmm. in a wheelchair, learn how to walk with a cane, learn how to walk with a brace or like a, you know, some form of mobility aid, like bigger goals. But then as I began to hit those goals, It became a little harder to think of like, okay, how, what can I do next to continue progressing? Because I know I'm not, I'm not nothing near where I was, but like now that I uh, get off like the big milestones, it's like, how do I... Figure out what's next. And sorry, I lost the train of thought with what the original question was. I was going somewhere and then I forgot what That's the question
1: right. was. We were, we were talking about manage. It's how you manage so much. So you've gone through rehab. You you now have this big platform that you have. You're writing. You've written a book. Mm-hmm. you have holding out a full-time job. And how do you sort of manage all of that? Particularly as oh, we both yes. said, we're both very much planners and like to know what's going on. But managing that much in one person's head speaking from experience on my side of things as well, it's a lot.
0: (laughs) It is. It's not, it's not easy. That's for sure. And I mean, I, I thrive personally on being quite busy and like having Mm -hmm. a lot to do. I feel like that's where I'm kind of in my zone, so to speak. Yeah. So I like having like a bunch of things to do. Um, like, that busyness, but not just busyness with anything, busyness on projects and collaborations that are important to me or that I feel like will have a positive impact um, on my audience or peop- my, people I know or myself. Um, so that's kind of how I figure out, like, where to focus my energies because I don't have unlimited energy. Like, it's, it, I do get tired probably more so than like, um, a person who has not had a stroke or gone through rehab or anything like that. Like I probably do get a little more tired than the normal person. Um, so it's a, it's a balancing act, definitely like figuring out, okay, what do I have the energy to do today? What's the most important thing? And if there's only one thing that I do today, what is that going to be? And then I have to make sure I do that well.
1: I think that's a really good way. So it's like the little voice in my head that I try to use all the time because I'm not, necessarily, not to your extent. I feel like you work on some amazing stuff that I'm like, whoa, okay. I, I wouldn't know how to cope with that. But I think my rule that I always have is move, like I, being a bit of a gym head, the little voice in my head goes, yes. move the weight a little bit every day. So that is the rule. So, like, as long as I'm moving in the right direction every day, it doesn't matter if I've done an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. As long as I've exactly. moved, you I've keep moved showing the weight. Up. Yeah, completely, completely. And that's what I think I would say to people. Anyone going through rehab and, and going through sort of getting in a position where they're stronger and trying to push to, to mm-hmm. where they used to be. So, like, actually, this probably is a good example. So, like, for me, although I haven't been through – what you have been through. So I had a surgery when I was 12, uh, 12 years old in, in actually the US. I had it in St. Louis, Missouri. And basically they essentially cut, they, they severed the nerves in my spine that were sending the wrong signals to my brain. And because of that, it took away my spasticity, which was what I was using to hold myself up. So it'd be what I'd, I used to hold my head up, hold my neck up, hold my chest up, talk to people. It would be all of that. And then, so imagine someone's pulled that plug out of you and then they say, right, now use your muscles to do all of that. But I didn't have the strength to do it. So, like, I had to completely rewire the way I was thinking, rewire the way I was doing things. Like, probably the best example of how much it impacted me was, one, I remember being in the the hospital, so just being allowed to sit up for the first time after my surgery and I went to go to the toilet, and uh, I sat on the toilet, and basically I couldn't even hold my head up, so I had to get my dad mm-hmm. to sit in front of me and let me lean on him because I couldn't hold my head up. So that was that was yeah. what I went through. And then the other thing was I, so I used to be I still well I am a keen swimmer um, and grew into it because of the operation, but um, at the time I would had the operation. And then six weeks had gone by and my dad was like, oh, great, you're allowed in the swimming pool now. And we went down to the swimming pool and he put me in the swimming pool and I sank to the bottom because I, oh, didn- no. I-, I didn't know how to swim anymore because the way I used to swim was because of my spasticity. So like, ah. so I sank to the bottom and then dad looked down and was like, okay, I've got to go get him. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise we're going to have a problem. Um, but but the reason why I'm giving these examples is like so though that in that situation I was looking at what I had to do to get to where back to where I was if not better, it felt like such a daunting task to really like tackle. Definitely. That. And I think that's where I almost wish I had the, had the mindset I have now back then of just keep moving, just keep moving the buck. If you can keep moving it you'll eventually get there. It doesn't matter when you get there, as long as you do it in your own time and you're comfortable doing it. Cause a lot of exactly. times, particularly, particularly with rehab and sport, you can push yourself too fast and then end up injured or almost causing a problem, which then pushes you back.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that goes along with what we were saying before about just keep showing up, keep, Putting in the effort to achieve those goals, be it through sport, through rehab, whatever, like, the goals are, um, it is important to just keep going after it because progress doesn't happen overnight, as we all here know. Like, it does take time and repetition and effort and consistency, but over time, that all adds up.
1: Definitely. Um, coming back to, because uh, we, well, we haven't, as you spoke about it at all, this in this episode, um, what was your journey like? So, can you sort of give people a snapshot of your journey this far with your stroke, what the recovery was like, and how it sort of impacted you? you briefly touched on it at the beginning of the episode, but we actually haven't done a deep dive into it. If that's okay. Yeah,
0: I can give. Um, so the quick little explanation of it is. Ever since I was like seven years old, I've been getting super terrible debilitating migraines where I would be just completely out. I could not go to school. I couldn't do anything. I just have to lay down in like a dark room and vomit. Like there was there was nothing new medicine made me feel better. Eventually when I was 15 years old, I had a migraine that lasted like 24 days and my neurologist said to me, this is not normal, we need you to have an MRI scan to figure out if there's something else going on. Mm -hmm. The MRI revealed that I had what is called an arteriovenous malformation in the right occipital lobe of my brain. They call it an AVM for short, and what that is is basically a tangle of abnormal blood vessels that don't have capillaries. So blood flow is like extremely unregulated, potentially dangerous. So I learned that with each year of life, is an increased chance that the AVM could rupture. If it ruptures, I could have a stroke, I could die. And if it ruptured, it's like Mm -hmm. a 50% chance of it rupturing. And if it did rupture, a 10% chance of death. So personally, me being like a young high school student, I did not like hearing that. So I said, I need to get this thing taken out immediately. So I consulted lots of neurosurgeons Half of them said it was too big to take out, they couldn't do it. Others said, this is so big, you need to get it taken out immediately. So eventually I decided once I finished um, my college degree, I was going to get the brain surgery to get rid of this risk of stroke and death. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So I went into the hospital one week after I graduated from university. They had to do preoperative procedure because it was so big. The pre-op caused a blood clot, which burst, causing me to have a massive stroke in the hospital. And they're like, the neurosurgeon has to be called back in. they're not sure if I'm even going to make it out of this alive. And if I do, if I would be able to do anything at all. So that was not a good uh, prognosis that like, oh, like she like, it's really not looking good for me. Yeah. Although thankfully they were able to stop the bleeding, remove the AVM, I just woke up completely paralyzed on the left side of my body. So everything from my arm, my leg, my, the right, like side of my, sorry, the left side of my body, my left side of my face, I couldn't speak, I couldn't swallow, like everything. I was like a baby again. I had to learn how to do everything. So I did physical, occupational, speech, cognitive therapy all of it um super intense for like two years i learned how to sit in a wheelchair then i learned how to walk with a cane then i learned how to walk with no cane but wearing like a brace or like i'll Mm -hmm. also wear bioness Um, so i have a mobility aid but now i don't use i don't use the cane anymore Um, but my left arm is still a little slow er mm-hmm. to make progress um it has come a long way but it's not as functional as i would like it to be so i still have ways to go with that um i wrote two books during the time that i was going through rehab that i wasn't working um wow. and the first book was about fashion because i wanted to get into the industry um but realized i didn't know anything about it or have experience so i just started networking with people wrote my findings into a book, but I also talked about how I was using the book as a tool in my cognitive rehabilitation, because I don't know if any listeners have gone through cognitive therapy, but it sucks. And it just feels stupid. It just feels like dumb. Like, why am I doing these dumb, like little puzzles and games? Like, I don't need to be doing this, but by writing a book, it felt like I was doing something more with a purpose that had like, you know, more related to what I wanted to do, like with my life. And people liked that I talked about my personal journey in that book. So then I wrote a second book specifically about my recovery experience and what I learned from that.
1: That's, that's, that's crazy. The, like, that just, well, that just is the testament to what we said earlier of always keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. most people in your situation wouldn't even, and I can imagine you didn't either at the time, wouldn't even know where to start in that situation after waking up after your stroke. You must have been like...
0: Literally. I Me mean neither. But if I can do yeah. it...
1: It's... Yeah, I can't believe... Like, I, what was it like? Because it must have been really frustrating for you sort of waking up and realising that you couldn't do certain things that you'd be able to do really easily before like that was one of my big frustrations from my major surgery but and mine wasn't to the extent of what happened to you so like I can imagine the frustration must have been really challenging very
0: frustrating and I definitely initially went through like a few months of denial kind of where I just thought like oh this isn't like really my life like I'm just gonna wake up one day and like everything will be better like I'll be able to walk I can I'll be using my hand again but I quickly realized that that was not the case and I was not going to make any, I wasn't just going to regain these functions and abilities that I had had before. Like the only way I was going to is if I listened to my therapist and did the rehab, which kind of stinks, but (laughs) I realized I want, I wanted to put in the effort. I wanted to see where I could go with this. And it's turned into something bigger and more bigger than me at this point like now i'm passionate about connecting the stroke and the disability community i'm passionate about sharing my story to help others amplify the voices of others and empower them to share their journeys and uh help others in the process so i feel like it's turned into a bigger mission
1: this is what i often bring up on this podcast and and um in that is the topic of like People often ask, would you hand back what happened to you, whether that be a disability or stroke or something like that? And my answer is really weird because, so my story um, is basically I stopped breathing at four weeks old and because of that, because of lack of it to the brain, um, I got cerebral palsy. So that's my story. And loads of people go, oh, but that is, I suppose, preventable. And would you like, if you had the opportunity now, would you go back and change it? And my answer is always the same. My answer, which shocks a lot of people, is no, I wouldn't have mine back because it made me, the person that I am today, also given me the opportunities that I've been given up until this point, and made me uh, appreciate a lot of things that not necessarily I would have before, and also met some amazing people that I wouldn't have met yeah. if these things didn't happen. And then also, uh, the other thing to remember is Everyone knows the saying, it's better the devil you know, because none of Mm -hmm. us know what our lives would be like if these events didn't happen. So we could go back, do it and then go, oh, I really don't like this. But then also we wouldn't have known. We don't know what it would have been like anyway. So it makes no difference if that makes any sense. I agree.
0: And I also agree in the sense that like, I, I don't think I would go back and change it. Maybe if you asked me like six years ago, right after it happened, yes, but you're right. I wouldn't have yeah. met half of the people I know now. I wouldn't have built this community. I wouldn't have become engaged um, with all these new friends and wouldn't wouldn't have written my books. I wouldn't have worked. I wouldn't have ended up working in fashion like I do now. Like there's just so many things I probably wouldn't have traveled to half the places I've been to. And yeah, it's, I mean, like you said, there's no, there's no way to know if had none of this ever happened to us, would we have still done the things that we've done today? There's no way to know yeah. if we would have or not. Um, but it's kind of like, so something that you and I were talking about, Charlie, right before we hopped on this podcast was about, The things you can control versus what's out of your control and still getting anxious about things that are beyond our control that we have no, like, we have no way of knowing what's going to happen. And it speaks to us, like, being able to adapt and evolve and basically, yeah, adapt ourselves to the situations that come our way. We don't always know what's going to happen. It could be a stroke. It could be, I don't know, some terrible disease or whatever it is, but how, what are we going to do about that? Like in a way it's like, can we, is it worth it for us to even, at least the way I think, like, is it worth it for me to even waste my precious time thinking about, Oh, what if, what if this never happened? Because it's not what happened. Like this did happen. So I don't want to spend my time daydreaming or thinking about like, Oh, like, well, what if it, didn't because that's not going to help me move forward
1: yeah the other thing that i always find surprising and i've had this happen personally to me as well is like this common misconception that anyone that's gone through any similar struggle to us has like i've i'm just gonna come out and say i've had the question to me of like why how are you so happy and i'm like Well, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> like,
0: there is. I, that's a big question.
1: Yeah, it's it's a big question, but also it's the common assumption that like you can't be happy in these situations that we find ourselves in. But like, it's like we say, we yeah, I had to. You get on with it, or or you don't. Like you have no choice. And sometimes I'm like
0: exactly. You have to find a way.
1: Exactly, and it's 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 really hard to explain because a lot of people who are maybe outside of the same community and outside of this community that we're in often think like, "Oh, I wouldn't be able to manage in in that scenario." But then the often the thing that you have to remind them is, "But you kind of just have to, because it's like your choices are very limited. Of I either get on with this, or I let it beat me."
0: No, exactly, Which- and. I'm glad you brought that up, Charlie, because a lot of people also come to me and they say, like, wow, I don't think I could be as brave as you. Like, I don't think I would be able to do what you're doing. And I say to them, you it's one of these things that until it happens to you, until you're personally tested with it, you don't know. And when you are, you'll realize, like, there's no other choice. Like, I either find a way to move forward from this, find a way to move on or. nothing, you know? And it's, it can be a tricky moment.
1: I think another big challenge that comes with that is like one of the misconceptions that I get all the time is the people will see me out doing quote unquote normal things. And by normal things, they mean they see me out with my friends. They see me traveling with my friends or my partner and they see me. Mm -hmm. The one that's always really odd is they will see me like in a bar having a few drinks with friends and I always get the one guy that's like, oh, wow, you're out with friends. And I'm like, yeah, um, what am I meant to be doing? As are you,
0: so. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always really strange because people think like, we're almost locked in basements somewhere. And like, we don't go out, we don't have friends, we don't have social lives. <laughs> it's really yeah, weird. That we can't do any of I don't know where the... it comes from.
0: I don't know where that, um, like conception, uh, conception comes from, but I get that a lot too. It's like, they almost, because something so bad, so to speak happened to me, people then think like, Oh, like they're surprised to see me traveling on my own, living my life, working a full-time job. They're like, Oh, you shouldn't like, you shouldn't be doing that. Like you should just be happy. You know, that you're, you're, you're alive, which I yeah. am, but I refuse to settle Charlie.
1: And also, you got to, like, unfortunately, to do all these things, we have to make money. Unfortunately, that is a thing. It's...
0: <laughs> Just like anyone else.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we have bills we got to pay.
0: No, exactly. So, yeah, it is, I don't understand when people, well, whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of weird. And I don't know why people say things like that.
1: Uh, the other thing I'd love to point out as well that often people forget, particularly, I say, those that are, are outside of the community, is reminding people that actually you've got a much higher chance of joining the community rather than us exiting the community, if that's the right way to no, phrase exactly. it.
0: Think of how many people with disabilities there are in, I think, like in, in America, I think it's like one in four people will like be disabled at some point in their life, which is like a lot of people.
1: I always joke and say that at least if, when I turn 84 years old, I'm just gonna be good at it. I, I'm just gonna exactly. be good of, of practice. Wheelchair, crutches, I can do anything. I I, like, it's fine by me. Um, but it's, it is really interesting to look at the, the way that people view the disabled community and the way that they almost pity it. What is your view on mm-hmm. like? I'm really big on like don't like don't pity people, and particularly don't pity like I I really don't like it with me when people go oh is he okay? Does he know what he's doing? That's the that's the bit where mm-hmm. I'm like yes we are just af- we're just average Joes that just happen to have some things happen to us, which means mm-hmm. that we have to live our lives in a slightly different way. So have you come across anything like that in terms of, as I say, people treating you very differently to how they would treat another individual?
0: Yes. Oh, no, definitely. I do find that, like, sometimes when I meet new people and maybe they are, like, they'll ask, like, oh, like, what happened? Or, like, are you okay to be doing that? Or whatever. Like, I mean, a part of me appreciates the concern. Like, if someone's... Like I do appreciate it when I'm out with friends and, you know, we're walking down the street and my friend says, Oh, by the way, there's a big step down, like watch your step. Like things like that. I I, I do appreciate personally. I know maybe not everyone does like, but I do like when like people look out for me and are aware of like things that might be more challenging for me and are there to help. But I do notice that like people to get back to your point that, sometimes people make like not good assumptions and yeah. that can, that can be harmful.
1: It's really hard as well. Cause sometimes those situations can be made with the best intentions but exactly. just come across in the, the completely wrong way. Like for example, so why, one of my big things, the reason why my brand's called not quite politically correct is I'm very of the belief of like, look, say it how it is, say it how you think it. And then we can fix it afterwards don't worry mm-hmm. about are you going to offend me are you going to do this are you going to do this? i will like i will help you through that minefield get the questions out that you need to ask and i think that's the other thing as well it's about i don't it's about people realizing that some most of the disabled community we're very used to being asked about our conditions our differences xyz right. so because of that we are very used to the, that exchange of teaching someone about our certain Yeah, situation. and like the
0: interrogation.
1: Yeah, so we're very, we're very used to that. So don't go in with this whole, we don't know what's going on, because a lot of us know a lot more about it than you're going to so allow us to teach you. And I think it's always, I'm always very grateful for the opportunity to educate someone on something that they wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily have been exposed to before. Like, I love people's realisation of like, oh, it was challenging for you to get in, into like get into employment. And I'm like, yes, like, wow, well, wow. Well, like, I love how this is a big shock to you. Like this, yeah, it would be because we are still, we're still working on building things like that. And it's the same when it comes to travel, as we spoke about earlier, like people don't realise that there are so many different things that we have to consider when it comes to travel. And when it comes to our planning of that and what that's going to look like and mm-hmm. then people just assume oh they, they have to make reasonable adjustments for you and you're like no that's not the world that we live in unfortunately i'd love it <laughs> to be unfortunately. but not unfortunately yet. no one day one day we will get there
0: exactly that's why we do what we do right so we can get one step closer
1: exactly exactly and people I and mean, people do ask that people go oh why like do you think and i've been asked this before do you think we're going to get there in your lifetime and i i've actually come to the i don't know what your view on this it'd be really interesting to get your view but my view is i don't think we will get there in my lifetime but at least i can say that i pushed it comes back to our point earlier at least i can say i pushed it forward i made i made steps in the right direction and and that's, i i that actually
0: is. agree I agree completely with that statement because I think, I, I don't know, m- maybe it's my, like, more dismal outlook, but I don't think we will either. But also, like, if I can play one small role in furthering the accessibility agenda for um, people with disabilities and just in general our society, like, I think that's a step in the right direction. And that's all it takes is, like, these building blocks to stack up um, and then eventually it will happen but it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort
1: yeah and I don't think I don't think it's necessarily you, you or me having a dismal outlook I think I would I would argue that it has a realistic outlook of the way that's, that's a better far, way
0: to put it yes a realistic yeah. outlook
1: because a realistic outlook because look, I, it's like I, it sounds again it sounds quite negative but one thing that I always think is like it creates less disappointment if you expect if you expect it not to be perfect. Because I often find that with anything with disability, like very rarely do you find yourself in perfect situations. So like, I often take a bit of, I take everything with a pinch of salt. So like, for example, if a restaurant says to me, oh, we're fully wheelchair accessible, until I'm there and I'm sat in the seat, I don't believe a word. (laughs) Right, right. And that can sometimes come across as like quite, well, oh, but you take, like, do you, you have a bad view on, like, the world? And no, it comes back to my point of it all comes down to people's understandings, understanding of things. Like, for example, by that I mean, like, wheelchair accessibility means one thing to one person and another thing to another. So, for example, Karen, who's never met a disabled person, goes, Oh, yeah, our restaurant's wheelchair accessible, but there's one step that you need to get over. It's not wheelchair accessible. Or yeah. then you get someone that's got... So they might have a cousin that's in a wheelchair and and they answer the phone and go, okay, we're not wheelchair... Like, we're wheelchair accessible in terms of we've got level access into the restaurant, but we haven't got an accessible toilet for you. But the accessible the toilet is possible if you're able to get out of your chair. So those scenarios are very different and the answers are very different, but that is because someone has... More information than the other person, and that's what like, I, you you and me are here to do. The more people exactly, that so it's also about
0: like just increasing that exposure to yes. um, society to know, like, to understand that like these accessibility needs are important for everyone to consider, not just for people who have disabilities, not just for someone who's in a wheelchair or has a brace or whatever. Like, it's. It, it affects our entire society, entire world.
1: And I think another thing to uh, to that point is when it comes to accessibility information and advising someone, also, it's much better to, for, for you to turn around to someone and go, look, our establishment isn't wheelchair accessible. I'd much rather you do that and say, look, unfortunately it's not, and then I can move on to the next one don't start going, oh, we sort of are, but like, if you can do a few steps, you can get it. That yeah. would be, just, just don't overcomplicate it. Exactly, that's it. not
0: wheelchair accessible then.
1: Yeah, exactly. But it's, as, as we've said, it's making steps in the right direction. We've done some amazing things here in the UK. We've made steps in the right direction, particularly we, we've spoke about trains earlier, that's slowly getting better. We've just had a new um, mm-hmm. underground system put in place that's fully, as far as I'm aware, it's fully wheelchair accessible, it's roll on, roll off, which is one of the nicest feelings, it's like a nice oh, new nice. carpet, it's, it's that whole thing of like, I haven't got to be stressed about anything, I can just go to the station, get on the train, and get off where I need to go, roll get off, right on, this... no
0: awkward little step,
1: yep, and, and so we are making progress, what would you say is uh, an area that the US are doing quite well in at the moment?
0: Um, I mean, to be honest, I think it kind of varies depending on, on like, what specifically we're talking about. I will say I live right outside New York City, and New York, I think, is overall, like, pretty good with accessibility. That being said, I will say a lot of the apartments, if they're older buildings, and you mentioned this, it's the same in the UK, then they don't have an, like, an elevator. They don't have, like, a railing for the steps. So, like, it is definitely, like, challenging to access um but it's like the buildings are just so old that i don't know although it is a requirement to follow by of the ada to have like the railings or to have um have like an elevator or something like that but i don't know it seems like a lot of the older buildings maybe just don't follow that or maybe no one's called them out on it so i don't know
1: It's often, I don't know whether it's the same in the U.S., it's often that there's a little legal loophole that means they don't have to worry about it. Right, yeah, that could be. It's the most ridiculous. So one of the big areas that does need improving in in the U.K., and I think this is probably across the board anyway, is when it comes to housing and um, accommodation. So in terms of Mm -hmm. whether you're in an apartment, house, whatever that might be accessibility is a big challenge um so that's a common thing across the board even here we have that issue and there's often like little rules in the law here that say like if it's financially harmful or like this that then they don't have to do it and that's often what people rely on in that respect but it's interesting as i say it's nice to know i think particularly new york being quite a similar sort of main city similar to London it's nice to know that they're Mm -hmm. making steps in the right direction as well because as as we said earlier in my head I'd had very mixed reviews about New York so it's nice to hear that they're doing okay
0: (laughs) yeah no it has its ups and downs but I would say overall things are things look pretty good but like I said there's always areas for improvement
1: (laughs) there's always going to be and and that's the best places for innovation, the best products that we have, and mm-hmm. the best things that we have are just constantly being improved. So I suppose that's something we're never going to get away from. One I thing I do want to ask is that obviously you had this this life changing thing happen to you. What then? When what then inspired you to go? Do you know what I'm going to share my journey with people? I know you said about with your book, it was a case of you shared your thoughts and everything, but also use it as like almost a recovery exercise, but what made you want to dive into social media and really share that journey?
0: So that actually started because I mentioned the feedback I got from my first book. So when I decided that I wanted to write a book about the lessons of mindset and what I've learned through my recovery journey and how that's like positively impacted me because I realized that a lot of people are interested in that topic and want to hear about it. I thought, why don't I start connecting with other people who are in a similar situation to me or who know someone who is. And I was like, you know what, I'll just start putting my thoughts on social media and reaching out to people on there. And so that's how it started. And
1: grew 100 yeah i got i think you're on about a hundred thousand, or coming up to a hundred thousand on instagram almost I, yes yeah I'd, I'd be itching to get to that number i'm one of the people that i get close to it i'm like i really, really really want to get past that number but that's it's amazing that like you've taken it as like a it's really been like a, a journey for you in terms of really sharing mm-hmm. that with the community like most people i would imagine would find those scenarios very challenging in terms of not wanting to divulge their personal life and and share that with the world but it's quite nice to see that like but
0: i see it as a bigger it's bigger than just me you know and that's that's how Mm -hmm. i see it it's like i'm sharing my journey for myself but also to help and empower other people and to me, that's more important. So if I can help someone else by putting my journey out there and helping others, then it's all worth it.
1: Complete, I completely agree. And it's very similar to what I do of like one of my favorite things I get is whenever I get the little messages saying, Oh, you've really helped me because my son's just been diagnosed with cerebral palsy, or, Oh, I didn't know how to do this certain task. You've, your video to help me realize how I can do it. I love those yeah. little messages. Like it is Yeah, those are the ones where it makes it all worth it. Because I think I was speaking about on another podcast, um, another episode, where oftentimes as a content creator, you can get a little bit wrapped up in the numbers. You can get a little bit wrapped up in, Mm -hmm. am I reaching my audience? Uh, Is this doing well? Is that doing well? Should I be doing this? Should I jump onto this platform? And it can get very strategic, I can't get the word out, strategic, and it can be very, like, numbers driven so those scenarios where it's really helping real people can really like reinforce that yeah i'm doing something that's good for the wider community and helping someone and even if i manage to help 10 people over the course of me doing it i've made i've made a good impact
0: exactly and i, I also try not to focus on like the numbers or the stats and just focus more on like The connections with the people that I make through social media and Mm -hmm. helping them because that's obviously more
1: important. Have you faced much negativity when it comes to social media?
0: Um, not too much. I mean, there's always like the occasional like comment on something, but Mm. overall I would say no.
1: That's really good to hear, and I say it's very similar to me. Of people ask, "Have I had like any major bad comments?" And it's very minimal. Like I think oftentimes with the social media, obviously the negativity sells. Of oh, social media is a bad thing because people are just trolling people, and that becomes a whole uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. But I've actually not experienced much of it, and almost any of it I have experienced, it's just kind of laughable because just sit there and go. What? Like, one of the ones that I had was... It was a photo of me and my girlfriend. And they they commented and going... It was just... But he can't walk. And I'm like... Correct. You are correct. I don't know what you want me yes, to say. Like, yeah, that's that factually correct. <laughs> what were you trying to achieve?
0: Yeah, exactly. Some people just... Um, it's dumb. And comments like that, like, it's not worth your... No. Engage. but I think as well,
1: the only time I do worry about COVID, it's like that, is if someone's at the beginning of their journey with their disability, Mm. then those ones can be quite impactful. Um, And the best piece of advice I'd give for that is just, as hard as it can be, just ignore it and move on, because they're not Mm. worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth the energy. But it's nice to hear as well, as someone with a bigger following, it's nice to hear that... You haven't experienced much of it now. Obviously, you are you have built quite a big following. Because I do wonder, the bigger you get, do you face more criticism? So that's really nice to hear that you, it's still quite minimal from from your experience. Yeah,
0: I would say pretty minimal. It's Hopefully, amazing. it stays that so, way.
1: Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> um, what um, what made you dive into the fashion industry?
0: I had always really wanted to be in fashion, and I, but when I was, after I had the stroke and everything, I thought, who would ever hire me? I have no experience in the industry, Um, and so that was kind of like the impetus for me to start writing my book on the topic, just to start having conversations with people in the industry, and I did, my first job was actually completely unrelated. It was as an underwriter in reinsurance uh, for a Spanish company but that was a great experience. And I did gain skills there that I was able to leverage into transitioning a career into fashion. And so I've loved it. I really do enjoy it.
1: That's amazing. So what was the journey like transitioning careers? Like, cause I, that's a quite a big change to go from underwriting to hard cut fashion.
0: (laughs) I did enjoy underwriting to be honest. So like, I really liked it, but I kept coming back to that thoughts of like, what if, like, what if I never took this leap and tried to like transition into something that I think I might really enjoy. And so then I ultimately mm. just decided to go for it and haven't looked back.
1: That's amazing. Like, but that's really nice to hear as well, because I feel like particularly big changes when you have a disability can often feel extra daunting, but also particularly when it comes to the employment side of things, we can feel a little bit more restricted in the opportunities that we get. Obviously, that is getting better, as we've said before, but it it can feel very nerve-wracking because you're like, oh, what if I'm not accepted by this industry because of my differences or because of my conditions? So it's really nice to hear that you kind of made the leap, and I can't imagine it's not been smooth sailing. I'm not saying it would have been, but it's nice to hear that you're in a good space now.
0: That it can be done. And then, you know, anything is possible. I think that's a great um, note to add in there. Like my journey with disability uh, and with the stroke has been just proving and showing to myself that I am capable of so much more than I thought that I was. And I don't let anything stop
1: me. Exactly. And I think because well, any, any person has to adapt their careers their careers adapt over time because the industry that they work in changes like one example that i always give is when i started content creating on social media i wanted to be a fitness youtuber that was yeah. where i started content creating then what basically happened was i got involved in the separate community noticed that there was loads of other topics i wanted to speak on that weren't necessarily fitness related were more sort of in the world of disability and improving things with people. So then my outlook and what I was trying to achieve changed. But then like NQPC just grew with me and I went in a different direction. And people can do that with their careers. Like you might start in one thing, think this isn't for me and move on to the next and love it. Like Mm -hmm. like we've seen with Maddie.
0: (laughs) We blaze a new path forward.
1: Exactly, and I think as well. What would one piece of advice be for that you would give to a young stroke survivor like yourself, if someone came up to you and said, "What do I do next?" What would be your advice?
0: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think something that I said a little earlier in this episode, um, I would say like keep showing up. Like, the progress does not is not going to happen just like overnight. Like, it's all these all these exercises, all these repetitions and efforts that you put in compound upon each other each other, and translate over time to, like, to change. And so I would say yeah. just keep your focus, keep putting in your repetitions and your effort, and you'll be surprised. Film yourself today and film yourself six months from now. I think you'll be surprised by um, the changes that you see
1: completely agree and like it's when i think back to like like 15 year old charlie and i'm like if you said to me when i was 15 i'd be doing the stuff that i'm doing now i would have called you absolutely crackers i would have been like yep yeah, you've made that up you're a liar who are you <laughs> whereas no exactly it is, it's just a journey and you kind of have to just go with it and it's like what we spoke about earlier of like building that resilience of being able to go with the punches go with the punches, go with the flow, but also control what you can. Now that sounds really backwards and doesn't work together, but the more you can find a rhythm between those three things, the better your experience is gonna be.
0: I agree. I think that's a good um, good ending little note.
1: And on that note, I'm just conscious of time, so I'm going to ask the last question, which I did pre-warn Maddie about at the beginning of the episode, and she was a little bit nervous. She was a tiny bit nervous. I Um, I am nervous, but let's
0: go for it. Let's see what comes out.
1: we're gonna do it um and that is what's one piece of politically correctness that you really strongly agree with or disagree with it doesn't have to be disability related it can be anything it's more of what what really makes you tick or what's an area that you're really passionate about that you wish you could just speak your mind on
0: um so something did just come to my mind but i'm afraid it's not Really, it's not quite relevant, but I'm going to say it anyways. I don't understand society's obsession with Taylor Swift. I simply do not.
1: (laughs) I get it. I get. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I don't get you. You agree with
0: me? Like, why is everyone so obsessed with her? Why are you paying like a thousand dollars to see her in concert? Like, I would see her if someone gave me a ticket, but like. I'm sorry, her music after like 2013 in my opinion kind of went downhill and I don't like I don't really care.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, she's exceptionally talented. I give her that, but I yeah. don't see, like I don't see her as a groundbreaking artist. Maybe. And that sounds really mean. Like she's extremely it sound talented. Mean, but-
0: <laughs> you said it didn't have to be politically correct, so I'm no, saying it's it. There. I mean,
1: no, it's perfect. It's exactly what we want, but it is so true. Like, she's extremely talented. It's just, I just don't, I'm with you. I don't get the hype. Okay, gr- I, good. I, I oh my really God, I hope you don't
0: get a lot of comments on this episode being like, oh, they're on Taylor Swift. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just going to title it Maddie hates Taylor Swift.
0: <laughs> you know what you're in for then. <laughs> when you listen
1: to this. But I have to say, I think that's one of my favourite answers. Favourite <laughs> answers because I completely get it. I completely get it.
0: I don't get the obsession. She's just not but, really yeah. for me, but whatever. But
1: Each I just own. also, I also don't get like, I also don't get when artists have that much of a, like I, I'm, uh, it's hard to phrase but like how artists have that much of an impact where people are so passionate about it like i the music can't isn't think even of an... a good
0: like it yeah. just seems very like um like anything else I, I, I don't know what the right phrase is but
1: no i know what you mean like like it's almost it's very samey if you get what I mean. yeah yeah But I, whatever I she's not agree. my cup of tea Completely agree. And on that note, where can people find you? This is your, I always give my guests a chance to plug themselves, let people know where they can find you. Obviously, we've talked about your books a lot in this episode. So where can people check out your book um, or books? And yeah, just your opportunity to tell us where to find you. Yeah.
0: So my books are on Amazon. The one about my recovery is called Fast Forward, The Fully Recovered Mindset, and it's abbreviated FWD. Um, So you can check that out. I'm quite active on social media, as we were mentioning. So connect with me on Instagram. That's my primary platform. It is at Maddie stroke of luck. So M-A-D-D-I S-T-R-O-K-E O-F L-U-C-K. And you can email me, I think, through my profile too. So email is usually a good way to get in touch, Um, but you'll see all of that on my profile I think those those are the I think the best ways to contact the main me. ones.
1: And I think as well, from there you can go off in different areas exactly. and you can Yeah. So no it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been so nice to chat to you. I feel like we could chat for hours, we could chat about loads of things. like we could topics. we could go
0: on and on, but I know we're like yep. we're already over an hour. <laughs>
1: that's fine what we'll do is we will see if we can get an episode two booked in because i think there's loads of things we didn't touch on and i'm always intrigued as well to almost compare the differences between the uk and us whenever i have u.s guests on so i would love to have you on for episode two but we will sort it out but thank you so much for coming on
0: thank you charlie for having me
1: Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Not Quite Podcast. Please make sure you follow us on TikTok and Instagram to get regular updates about the podcast.